Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Those are some incredible stories of life transformation, amen? I'm very excited for that. Thanks, Jordan and Cynthia, for being brave and sharing with the church. Um, following Jesus is all about, uh, I mean, there's lots of things. It's about giving him glory. That's the number one chief of man, is to give God glory in all that we do. Paul said, whether we eat or drink, or whatever we do, we give glory to God. But after that, we actually discover life. And the, the fruit of following Jesus, of truly giving your yes to him and, and choosing that direction is watching the dead come back to life. And that's a wonderful thing. And so leading into what we're going to talk about today, before we get into our church-wide prayer, uh, I'm, I'm, I actually have two things. Maybe it's three. But for sure, two things that I want to share with you guys today that if you would just do exactly these two things, I'm going to go as far as to say they're going to guarantee change in your life. So what kind of change am I talking about? Because I could say it's guaranteeing what, what kind of change. I think it'll improve all of your relationships. All of them. In fact, it'll improve the way you relate to people in general. Um, anxiety. I don't know if there's anyone in here that struggles with anxiety or depression. Those are big things to deal with. Or stress or overwhelm at different levels. We all, we all struggle with that. Your outlook on suffering and your ability to go through it well. Give strength to overcome bad character traits and also the ability to resist and endure temptation without falling into sin. List is getting pretty lofty, right? Right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm putting a lot on the line here. I'm guaranteeing change if. There's a big if. We'll get to that at the end of the message. It'll also affect your ability to learn new skills. Literally. And stay focused. I don't know if anyone but me has that problem. And even probably, I, I, I would venture to say it's going to affect your ability to remember where you put your keys. <laughs> I know. Now I've covered the full gamut. You're like, what is he going to preach on today? Well, that's what you'll find out soon enough. First, we're going to go into prayer. And uh, forgive me, if, by the way, if the swinging back and forth is distracting to you. I have to move. And uh, so sitting here is <laughs> something else. Anyways. <clears throat> We're praying for Heart of Prayer. It's month of prayer and fasting. We're gonna pray our number four prayer request that we've been praying since uh, last year. And we're continuing on. You're gonna see a few things on there, but it's not all linked to number four. Many of them are, but some of them aren't at the bottom. We're gonna continue praying for Israel. Uh, but personally, starts prayer, the Heart of Prayer starts with you. So yes, let's pray for the church to grow in a Heart of Prayer and the Western church, absolutely yes. And the global church, sure. But uh, pray that you yourself would grow and then follow those promptings of the Spirit as the Lord gives you steps. Those are prayers he is guaranteed to answer. You ask him for things that are close and near and dear to his heart, he will answer that. Ask him to grow you in personal prayer, he will. He'll either give you steps to grow or he'll give you circumstances that give you a choice on whether you will grow. Yeah, and that's a fun thing. Church, we want to grow the average uh, prayer summit to uh, 500 butts and seats, we call it. Not just online, but butts and seats. Is, can I say that from the front? I realize I said butt. I'm sorry <clears throat> if that offended you. But um, bum maybe is better. Bum and seats. That sounds weird. The point is 500 people here praying on average. Now, why do we want more people here praying on average? Because prayer works. We have such big needs that we are bringing to God. The more people we have praying, the better. Plus, something happens when we pray. You change, 
I change, God answers prayer, we meet with him, we love him more wholeheartedly. So let's pray together. Would you guys join in praying for that? Okay. And then the rest, let's pray for the Empower. I think there's people in this service and the next service that actually need to be here next weekend for the, for the Empower. So as we are praying, pray for God to touch those hearts in here that need to be there. Pray for him to touch those. And maybe you're praying for him to touch your own heart. Amen? And then we'll pray for Israel in three. Let's pray in three, two, one. Let's pray, church. Lord, as we think of Israel and, and those in Gaza and even the Hamas terrorists and we think about terrorism, what a terrible thing. We think how they're enemies, enemies of you, enemies of people, but the truth is, Lord, all of us were enemies of you. It is only by your spirit, it is only through the good news that we are able to be saved by grace through faith in your son. And Lord, we pray that that same invitation, that you would reveal yourself to terrorists, to Gazan, to Israeli alike, to rich, to poor, to political leader, to stay-at-home mom, Lord, that all of them would, would receive that opportunity to know you. And then, Lord, I know that there is people in our own congregation who have, we have different struggles. We're trying to grow in that heart of prayer, and prayer is so necessary. When, when you were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, and you needed strength, you cried to the Father for strength. You stayed awake. You prayed. You kept on praying until an angel gave you strength. Lord, right now I just speak and I pray for those in here. I lift them up to you that struggle with anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. Lord, that, 
that they wouldn't just feel like prayer is another thing that's adding on to their list of, of areas where they feel like they're failing, but rather they would see the invitation by a holy God who loves them. That they would be invited to spend time prevailing, asking you, seeking you, knocking at your door at, at your feet in prayer. And then, Lord, we thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen in you. We thank you for that. Would you lead us and guide us now in the rest of the sermon? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I honestly debated just uh, preaching Pastor Ray's message last week again um, because it was that good. Amen? Wasn't that a treat? That was so good. I, I absolutely loved it. I definitely went through it multiple times throughout the week. And I, and I actually did debate <laughs> coming here and just preaching it again. There was so much in there. I don't know of us got all of it. So uh, that was good. But we will move on in the series. We're going to keep it going. Uh, I have at least two more that we want to do. We have something special coming next week too. Uh, but for this week, we're going to go to uh, part five, and we're going to be focusing on standing on the word. John 15, 7, 8. We'll go on to John 15, 78, and it says, You abide in me, and my word abides in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's an incredible statement. I mean, all of John 15 is incredible, and I would really encourage you, if you're not familiar with it, we preach it lots here, but I would... I would encourage you anyways to go and familiarize yourself with John 14, 15, 16, and 17. <laughs> I couldn't stop there. The whole thing is good, right? It's a good chunk there. Jesus is getting his last words in before he goes to the cross. So you can tell there's urgency in what he's saying to the disciples. It's his final like time with them, right? And so it's pretty incredible that way. But even this two verses, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done with you so that you can Bear much fruit. It says God wants you to bear fruit and so prove to be his disciples. You know, when you let that sink in, oh, there it is, sorry. It took, took a second for me to put it up there. Um, but when you let that sink in, I, I don't know if all of us truly believe that. Maybe we believe it for others, but we struggle believing it for ourselves. Does God want to answer my prayers? Does he want me to bear good fruit? I mean, we know he kind of does, but then it seems like a complicated process. It's complicated, or at least we've made it complicated. And yet his word is very simple, that he actually wants to answer your prayers so that you can bear fruit, so that you can prove to be his disciples and that the Father gets glory. There's a lot at stake. If you look at Ezekiel 36, you'll see a very similar thing happening. That's where the, it's one of the tellings, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where, where God is promising them a new covenant. And in there, he basically says to Israel, you guys have gotten it all wrong. You've profaned my name among the nations. You've sinned. Your sin is totally, it's piled up to here. It's grievous. However, I'm going to save you anyways because the stake of my name is, or my name is at stake. And to glorify my name, he's going to save them anyways despite their, their weaknesses. And I love it that we serve a God like that. But the point is, and this is what's going to help you, if you can remember this one statement, because as we approach spiritual disciplines, prayer, fasting, today we're going to be talking about standing on the word, uh, next week we're going to talk about worship, but the, the key, if you want to have a key, I'll give you a, uh, a phrase, keep the first things first. Keep the first things first. If you can remember that phrase, it is going to uncomplicate a lot of your disciplines on how you approach God for, for your needs and how you approach that. He wants to answer your prayers. He wants you to bear fruit. Keep the first thing first. Choose this day whom you will serve. Put God first. Understand his purposes. And that's what we're going to talk about. So uh, as, as a little bit of a, 
it's a little bit of a recap. Uh, effective spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about this already the last four weeks. This is week five. But on how we can approach prayer and fasting effectively. That's really what we've been kind of uh, talking about. Pastor Martin did some, Pastor Ray did some, and I did the one message before the surgery. And so effective spiritual disciplines seeks to know God first. That is the first thing. That has to be the aim. So with our discipleship target, I should have probably put it up there, but I didn't. Um, we always have, we have Jesus in the middle. And the whole point of that isn't that, you know, you just point there and you don't do all the stuff on the peripheral. It is that that's the first thing. That's the aim in everything that we do is to please him, to love him, to serve him, to glorify him, and to know him. He's trying to draw you into that. So he wants us to know him. And that's his heart. So we looked at different barriers. I'll go through those fast. Barriers that keep us from seeing, uh, you know, from, from uh, true fasting. If you remember those from that weekend. Uh, a few week, uh, weekends ago, we talked about sin was an obvious one. Mistreating people. Not caring for the poor. Right? Those were, those were things, those were barriers to true fasting. So it wasn't just about starving yourself to get what you want. Because God's, God's like, I'm trying to invite you into a relationship. And to love me is to what? Do you guys know? How do you obey him? Yeah, bang on. If you want to know, how do I love God? I want to love God. So we sing worship. That's one way to do it. Yes, absolutely, we worship him. He actually asks us to too. But obey him. That's how we do that. So that's why he was so upset. They're, they're mistreating others. He's not obeying them. He's, they're, they're disobeying him, but then they're fasting and trying to get what they want. He says, that's not the way it works. I don't see that fasting. And essentially, to encapsulate dad's two messages, that, that was a lot of the heart behind that too. If we're, if we're not going to keep on asking like he asks us to, or if we just fail to pray, or if we pray with wrong motives, or we pray with treasured sin, he's not, you know, uh, faith doesn't work like a genie in a bottle. Don't think of your faith like a genie in the bottle, like I do X, Y, Z, and then God gives me blank. You don't want your faith to be transactional with Jesus. Because if it is, the wages of your sin is death. If it ever becomes transactional, we're on the losing end of that transaction. So faith isn't about, you know, Jesus being this genie in a bottle where I, I fast a certain amount, I pray a certain amount, I get into the word a certain amount, I worship a certain amount, I go to church, I serve a certain amount. And then I'd look at blank, my need, and say, well, God, see, look, I did this. Why didn't you do this? Now, does that mean we don't bring our needs to him? No, absolutely not. I'm just talking about keeping the first thing first. We keep the first thing first. So that's really the key in the whole thing. So um, sometimes people talk about things like checking the boxes in the sense of going through the motions, right? We don't just want to check the boxes. And I get that. And there's a, there's a protection on that, like... Don't check the boxes of, of legalism to say, well, if I do this, then God owes me this. That doesn't, that doesn't work, right? Jesus wants to draw you into a, into a deeper relationship with him. So that's super important. But it's important that we bring our needs. So it's not just, I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll read the word, I'll come to church, I'll serve, and I'll give, right? And then you're kind of looking for, what's the next discipline on top of that? Because I still haven't got what I want. Have you ever gone through those mental gymnastics? I just got to do the next thing. Show me what the next thing. I must be missing one. Is there something else? Oh, feed the poor. Okay, I'll go give someone a meal. Then I'll get. See, I think we sometimes miss the point. So we want to bring our needs to him in prayer and with fasting. For instance, anxiety is a big one that we've been praying about in our church. It was also present in scripture. 
Now, we, don't, we won't go there for the sake of time, but 2 Corinthians 1, which is your Bibles will label it, I think, as, as the God of all comfort. I've referenced it lots. And, and it's Paul talking about how he didn't want the Corinthian church to be unawares of the burden that he experienced. And he said he was so utterly, utterly burdened beyond his ability to endure that he despaired of life itself. In multiple other places, Paul alludes to having anxiety. In one place, he actually says his anxiety caused him to miss one of the towns he was going to go to to minister. And, and, and yet, Paul says, God allowed this. Now, when we say, whoa, God allowed this. I mean, does God want you to have anxiety? Well, no, it says fear not. The kind of fear in Scripture where it says fear not 365 times in different ways is relating to that kind of controlling fear. God doesn't want you to be ruled by anxiety. However, he also just doesn't remove struggles in your life. He used that anxiety, and Paul says exactly what it was for, to teach me not to rely on man, but to rely on God. And he, then he talks about God did give him victory, and he did learn that lesson to rely on God. And so I wonder, you know, if we don't approach this right, we can take our anxiety to him, or maybe we don't even. Maybe you just grab your phone every time you feel anxious, and you grab your phone and you distract yourself until you don't feel it anymore. And then you say a quick prayer, and you wonder why God hasn't done his part. I mean, take away my anxiety, but maybe he's trying to grow something deeper in you, because remember the first things first. He wants your heart. He wants you to know him. And he, like, he already knows you. He knew you before you were born. He's known us before we existed. However, he wants you to, to experience the experience of him knowing you in return, which is different than just knowing the fact that he knows you, right? When someone knows you, doesn't that feel good? They call you by name, right? They call you by name. They remember details about your life. Yeah, he wants that, us to experience that experience of him knowing us, but he wants to invite us to know him. And I wonder if sometimes we get derailed because we're not putting the first thing first. Like I said, I'm not saying he doesn't want to deliver you from whatever you're struggling with, like anxiety, that was one example. It could be a host of other things. I'm just saying we need to keep the first thing first so we see what is the ultimate goal here. God wants us to know him, okay? So that's the ultimate goal. John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life that they, can you help me with that? That they know you. All right, so let's say that again. Let's say the whole thing together. You ready for that? Even in the back. All right, three, two, one. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I don't know what your struggle is. I know what mine are. There are many. My, my prayer list was big this month, and I've seen lots of movement. But like, whatever your struggle is, I'm pretty sure life, life is what we're looking for in that struggle. And Scripture describes life, abundant life, as knowing God. That's what, that's what it is. Knowing Him is life. It is the kind of life that will change you from the inside out, that will give you strength to endure, the power to forgive, the ability to know the direction where you need to go because he'll give that. I was claiming that. I got stuck on message prep and I went to James 1.5 and I'm like, hey, this is a promise you said. If anyone needs wisdom, anyone, I'm like, those are the promises all of us can claim. I was knocking on heaven's door and saying, I'm stuck here and you said, <laughs> in respect, I was very respectful, and you said, 
If I need wisdom, I come to you. So I'm here. I can't do it without you. So, redeeming the boxes. Are boxes bad? No. We need the boxes. We need the disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are good. We need to do them. Uh, But we need to do them while keeping the first thing first. Knowing God. Make sense? So think about relationships. And by the way, if we have, we have, everyone in here has relationships, I hope. Um, different kinds of relationships. Friendships, parents, siblings, kids, um, marriage, spousal. There's lots of different kinds of relationships that we can have, right? But if you look at those intimate relationships that we get to have, that some of us are, are lucky enough to have, uh, what you end up finding is there's always boxes being checked. I just want to address that very quickly, because sometimes you get the idea of like, well, I don't want to be legalistic in the way that I approach things. Okay, legalism is doing something for salvation. Understanding that there's a law of cause and effect is just understanding the laws of nature that God created. So you look at an intimate relationship, and I will show you two people that spend time together, communicate, don't hold back secrets, and they share their lives together. There's probably a bunch of other things I can come up with. Like ingredients. Like, does anyone in here like uh, barbecue chicken keto pizza? Anyone? That's not as many hands as I thought. Thank you. Oh, there you guys. Okay, I thought like half the hands would shoot up like this. Well, good. Then we'll never run out of it in town. And whenever we want to order it, we can order it. <laughs> that's, that's not so bad. Maybe don't go try it. The point is, you actually need to have ingredients. That thing is, it's heavenly. We're going to eat keto pizza barbecue chicken in heaven. I haven't prayed about that, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. (laughs) Maybe that was manna. I don't know. The point is, though, you can't just take out the chicken and have a barbecue chicken pizza, right? There are elements that make it going. Okay, the same is true with knowing God. There are things that you will need to do, all of us need to do, in order to know him, but we do those things to know him, not to be saved. See the difference? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, then we'll move on because we're going to add something else. Understanding the first things first will change already the way you approach disciplines like prayer and fasting. Doesn't mean you don't bring your needs to him. You do bring your needs to him, but it's keeping the first things first. It's recognizing that God's heart, his number one goal, is to sa- he wants to save us, right? Why? So we can know him. He wants us to know him. That's eternal life. So that's our number one aim in life as well. So we want to know him. All right, so moving on. We talked already about prayer and fasting. We've done that now in the first four. So number five, we're talking about standing on the word. So the first thing we're going to say is standing on the word is necessary to know God. I've kind of made that point already, but I'm going to beat that drum a little bit more because um, I, I see things like believers that are unable to stand during pressure, and I get it. I've gone through that too. But then when we examine basic things like spending time in God's word, we find that we're not doing that. So... We can't assume anything, and then there's also going to be new believers in here, so we're just going to start from the basics. Isn't that the best place to start anyways? We'll start from the ground up. Look at this passage here in Matthew 7. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, floods came, winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Pause. Note a couple things about that first part. Doing it all right did not save them from rain, floods, and winds. Right? Storms in your life doesn't mean necessarily that you're doing anything wrong. Okay, next part. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Too many believers are falling under pressure. Proverbs says if you fail under pressure, your faith is too small. So how do we build these things up? We, we actually go to the word and we do what it says. And you might say, whoa, that's works. No, 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 this is the beautiful thing. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So he already paid for all your mistakes. But actually to love him is to obey him, so it's required. If you love him, if you want to follow him, you have to obey him. But the truth is, no one in here can do that perfectly. And then you're like, uh-oh, then we're stuck. No, 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 you're not, because you're not saved by those works. He's covered that. You're covered with his righteousness, but you still have to do it. And this is what he says. So what's important for withstanding storms within your life? To have strength, even just to endure. We're not talking about getting out of the storms. In this parable here, you were, both parties went through storms. Hearing God's word, obeying God's word. That's considered wisdom. Hearing and obeying. That was what it means to build your house upon the rock. Not just hearing. So that means what I'm getting at is you can read your word and experience none of those benefits. You have to read God's word and you have to obey God's word. Those two go together. You can't separate them. If you separate them, I mean, on the one hand, if you, if you try to obey God without that, it's going to get weird because you'll end up just obeying yourself. But if you just read and you don't do anything, James says, what kind of faith is that? It's defective. It's useless. It, it saves nobody. It helps nobody. And it may just make you a Pharisee anyways. So, be the wise person. Keys to building on the rock. Read God's word. Listen to God's spirit. I know that's not in there, but there's other passages we can go to. And then obey God's word and follow the promptings of God's spirit. That's simple, isn't it? Read God's word. Obey God's word. Listen to God's spirit, follow his promptings in faith. That's simple. I like to keep it simple. That's easy for me. So, now, no, I'm not going to cover that. Because I just want to go through all it. Check out, I, we have more. Oh yeah, I don't have that on here. Matt, you were right, if you can hear me. You were right, I don't have it in my notes. For this is the love of God that we what? Can you help me on this one? That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are burdensome. <laughs> oh, you caught that. I said it wrong, didn't I? Why do we get stuck on that? Why do we think they're burdensome? You know when they're burdensome? It goes back to, I'm not going to do the splits thing now. Because that is not going to work. <laughs> that would hurt a lot more today than it did last time. That's why I made sure to do it then. However, because walking in two directions is impossible. And there is a difficulty. There is risk involved. I mean, it says we're supposed to crucify ourselves daily. I've been crucified. Uh, Galatians 2.20 isn't the daily one, but it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by faith, or in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's it. Like that one verse, if we would just take that, read that, meditate on it, and now go and apply that, we would find, first off, we would be effectively loving God. Secondly, you would find the initial, the initial actions would be difficult in the sense of it's hard and scary to climb up on a cross and die. But after that, life would get lighter and much more simple. 
when you would just have one path and one direction that you walked in. Let's look at another scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, sweet goodness, look at that. That's the Bible. So this book, by the way, before they had a printing press and it was written down, it was oral transition, so God's word. Don't, don't get weird on like, my paper is God's, yeah, it's not the paper in the Bible itself, but God's words. These are God's words, his logos, his written word, okay? Is good, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Oh, this can help complete me and equip me for how many good works? Every good work. You were created for good works. I know that because it's in the Bible. And the word will equip you for every good work. Look what it says after that in Hebrews. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. That's why I've got to be careful with this. Ouch. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's where it gets really wild. So first you get the imagery, which is kind of neat, right? And violent at the same time. Piercing in the division. You're seeing your heart and you're like, yeah. Okay. But then we get to the end and he defines what that actually means. It can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know what a kind of wild claim that is? I can't even half the time discern that of myself. That's me with my own heart. Got to peel back all the onion layers to figure out what's actually driving me forward in a decision that I'm making. The Word of God lays us bare. It exposes our hearts. It exposes us. That's absolutely incredible. There is no other written work or word that can do that. <laughs> Sorry, I've got to set up my stand again. By the way, if you're offended by the, the amount of skin I'm showing here, I was going to wear shorts. But because uh, I have this big brace on, so I'm limited on what I can wear. But shorts just seem like that's too far for preaching. So I'm wearing these pants, which I realize are now showing lots of my leg. You can't see it at home though, right? It's not saved. I don't think they can see it. Anyhow, I had surgery, so please forgive me on that one. All right. <laughs> God gave us scripture so we could get whatever we want. No. God gave us scripture so that we could know all of the right answers to live the best life that we wanted to live to live our dreams. No. God gave us scripture so that we could know him. Yeah. What a gift. That he would want us to know him. That he'd be relatable. That he'd be loving like that. That he'd invite us in, especially after the things that we've done. Especially after the things that I've done. incredible. In scripture we discover who God is, what he's like, why we're here, our purpose, our mission, the answer for suffering in the world and in our lives. We're laid bare and discover strength and power to change and more. It's living. Little wonder we're called to stand firm on God's word and to build our lives on the rock. So standing on the word is a daily activity. Oh did I say daily? I meant it's a casual whenever you have time activity. I'm using sarcasm. It's probably, the, it's probably the knee surgery. I'll blame everything on that. 
It's a daily activity. How about we just put it there? Should we set a good standard? If I wanted you to live for long term, and I was talking to you about your diet, I would encourage daily eating, too. You know what our biggest problem with me suggesting that is? Legalism. We've somehow got this warped version of what legalism means. We're afraid that anytime someone says you have to do something and it involves faith, that means you have to do it to be saved. No, you don't. Do you want to experience abundant life? I'll get, I'll get to that further in just a moment. So, let's go back to just that daily piece. There are no shortcuts, whether we're using prayer or fasting or the word, to get what we want. A genie-in-the-bottle approach to any of the spiritual disciplines will leave you dry and disappointed and probably disillusioned. So don't approach it that way. We come to God on his terms. They might say, what if I don't get it right? If your heart is to know him, he'll make sure you get it right. He will. Just trust what he says, get into his word, and follow him. Right? But it's a daily activity. This I cannot stress enough. You must, I must, we must surrender ourselves wholeheartedly to him. Not once, we do it every day. And when you find yourself grabbing your heart back, because it's human to do that, then you surrender it again. Choose this day whom you will serve. Yeah, choose this day whom you will serve. Basic stuff, right? I know. So we approach God in his terms, we patiently endure, we persevere, we draw close to him with the aim of knowing him more, and then we bring our request to him. We love him, we follow him, we trust him. We take those promptings of the Spirit, right? To love is to obey Him. So the biggest barrier I see to this is time. That's the biggest one. There's lots of other ones, like I don't understand what I'm reading, and there are good ways like, to address a lot of those. But I'm not going to get that until we can first address the biggest barrier, and that is time. If you want to have a relationship with someone that you refuse to have time with, you will never have a good relationship with them. And if you're wanting to get married at some point, you should write that down. I know it's going to be easy, though. You meet the person that you're going to marry, and you just, it's all like lovey-dovey in the beginning and wonderful. It's like a drug almost. It's crazy. It's wild. It's wonderful, isn't it? But it only gets better from there if you do the right things. It gets better. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. Time spent meditating on God's Word. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things I could add to that. Like I said... But let's talk about the most basic barrier I see in people standing on the Word is that they don't spend time in the Word. But you might say, but I don't understand what I'm reading. This is not just a book that you're... It's not an exam, okay? It's not that. It's living Word. You need to spend time in the living Word. And how are you ever going to get it if you don't spend time in there? It's like we kind of get the idea, well, I don't understand it, so I don't go spend time in it. How has it ever worked for anything else that you wanted to learn? I don't understand it, so I don't learn. Hmm? No, we go there to know him, we go there to learn, right? So that's a big barrier. We, we've got to approach the word that way. So when people diet, the biggest criticism certain diets get is when they focus on starvation, right? Starvation diets get lots of bad press. Why? Because you might get some, like, some weight loss, but it's unhealthy for you because you require food to live. 
Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You require words from God, bread, manna from God, to live. A starvation diet will not work, whether you're doing it intentionally or not. Now I know you might say, you're busy, I get that. But I'll, and I'm going to cover that excuse in just a moment, or reason. I should say it's nicer to sound reason, right? I think it's a bit of an excuse. I've been there too, I've given that excuse. Exodus. That's what we'll go here. Exodus here, they're coming out, they're in the wilderness, and they don't have food, and God feeds them supernaturally with manna. I'm, I'm betting we get to try manna when, when we get to heaven. It was apparently sweet, and it's kind of cool, but God was providing it, literally food from heaven. Now, his instructions were pretty clear. I'll, you take enough for the day. Don't save any. There was an exception on the sixth day for the Sabbath, for the seventh day. Then you would uh, save some, and it would last for two days. But other than that one exception, every other day, you were not to keep, you were to finish everything you took, and you were not to keep anything until the next day, and if you did, it would spoil. Interesting command, right? Why would God do that? I'll tell you why. Because he didn't just want to be their God, like figurehead up there. He wanted people to know him, yes, but to depend on him for their daily living. That's what he wanted. Because he's relational. He's hyper, highly relational. And so he wanted them to, to, go, to, them, to go to him every day, not just one time, a one-time decision, and then God's up here, and then you're doing your life down here, and you're doing your own thing. He said, no, 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 no. You guys need to come to me every day. You're going to be reminded of your need for sustenance from me. And when they tried to eat yesterday's manna, it was rotten and full of worms. It didn't give them to the next day what it did the first day. I think that principle is, is true in a lot of things that God does today. You ever wondered, like, God, why don't you just give me strength to completely overcome right away? He could. He can raise the dead back to life. Some people he does just radically deliver from an addiction, from anxiety. It's just like, done. He has the power to create all the things we see from things that are unseen. That's what Hebrews said. Because he's working out deeper purposes in us. He's teaching us. He wants us to know him. And he's teaching us to depend on him for daily living. We need him for daily living. There's something deeper going on. When I first gave my life to Jesus, that's a, lot of, a long time ago. Uh, but I learned this very quickly because I ended up getting a new job. And I wasn't sure what to do. It was a new trade for me. And, and I was stuck. And plus I was still coming out of all sorts of messed up stuff with drugs and all that. And you name it. Point is, I learned very quickly that I needed a daily dose of scripture and time with God or I couldn't function. It was the greatest gift God ever could have given me. It actually affected my job. It affected the way I worked. It affected my character. It affected my, my, uh, my relationships. It even affected the way my body functioned. I won't go into details on that, but I felt like everything was more regular. I'll just say that. <laughs> Maybe I gave that away. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> It was a wonderful lesson. It was a wonderful lesson. This message, right? Very basic message. I hope you guys are seeing right now. It's very basic. I'm trying to keep truth simple. But just say it for what it is. I, I wrestled with this one. Normally I start like, you know, you work a little bit on it Thursday and then Friday I spend the whole day on mulling over all these different things and it's a fun, it's really fun. You wrestle it through. You pray and you search scripture and then you're researching and you get books and then you pray and you're back and forth and you're worshiping and you're pacing. I'm not doing as much pacing right now. But anyways... 
you're doing all that and it's fun. You wrestle something through and you get ideas and you're going this way and that way and hope, the hope is I get a loose draft or maybe just a whiteboard draft of notes on Friday, Saturday wake up at three and I just start writing and then usually somewhere around noon-ish it's done. Well, I would have been, I probably didn't ask for prayer soon enough but I wrestled this one through, wrestled, 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 could not figure out an intro. Oh my goodness. And it was simple. But I couldn't figure it out, couldn't get it, couldn't get it. Ask one person, I'm praying, then I'm asking one person to pray. Get my prayer partners to pray. Then I get my ones, or my I ones, then I get my prayer partners to pray. And then I'm expanding to my family to pray. Then I'm expanding to staff to pray. And then it's starting down the list of like, who else isn't a part of those groups that I can get to pray? Because <laughs> you keep adding, because I keep going back to the drawing board. And I don't know if I had a dozen or more uh, drafts that I just deleted. And, uh, and so you're trying to get it done. And finally, at 12.08, it just went click. And then I had it written in the, la in the next you know, hour and a half. That's how it worked. And you know, it's a, it's, you, look, you look at that, and if you could watch me in some of those hours of stress, right? Like, it's a stressful time. Like, why doesn't God just give it to you? Like, especially if it's this simple. Like, couldn't he just give that to you? Couldn't you just, like, come up with that? Maybe. I can't. I'll tell you why that I'm glad, because I'm very grateful for the process. If, if I could just sit down and write this up. I mean, I, can, I wrote it up in an hour and a half, so I can. I have the ability to. But if it just made sense like that to me, you know what I wouldn't do? Pray. Why would I? And you might say, because you're a pastor and you know better. Yeah, and you know what? I'm also a human being, and I know how frail I am and how quick I am to rely on myself for things that I know I can do. I wouldn't even do it with a rebellious heart right away. I do it with, I just have, I don't have time to waste Ah, you hear that? Waste. So God sets you up with limps. I call them limps. He gives you limps for a reason. So you have to lean on him and you have to lean on others. And it's a beautiful thing because in the end you're a jar of clay and God gets all the glory and that's the way it should be anyways. It's his mercy. It's a good thing. So I'm glad for it. So back to the Bible. If all we needed to know was the right answers intellectually, we could read it once, know the answers, and be done, much like a school test. This would lead to a defective faith and self-reliance. I believe this is true for everyone in here, and I believe it is true for me. And I believe God knows that, and that's why he sets it up for us the same way that he did for the Israelites in the wilderness. He's not going to give you today, because you came to church, everything you need for the week. He is going to withhold because he loves you. Because he loves you and wants you to know him and stand before him with confidence. He's going to give you today what you need for today. And then he's going to let you be hungry so you come back tomorrow. But you'll get to decide if in that hunger you're going to turn to Jesus. You, all of us will decide this tomorrow. Are we going to turn to him and find true life? Or are we going to distract ourselves and busy ourselves and be ruled by our anxiety. Now I know if you have anxiety, by the way, I have had anxiety, I know what that's like, so I'm not trying to minimize, just do this once and then you're gonna be fixed. Uh, I'm not implying that. I don't think that was Paul's experience. It seemed like he got pretty low to despairing of life itself. Sounds like it was pretty low before God gave him deliverance. And if it's anxiety you're struggling with, seeing a doctor, seeing a counselor, Seeing a pastor, being in a small group where you can share, where you can be seen and, and see others, where you can pray for each other and encourage each other, you're going to need all of that. But whatever you do, keep the first things first. 
Don't avoid. Engage your heart. Engage it with God. All right. The Bible is not here to help you pass an exam. Some of you, my daughter had exams. I know some, there will be a whole bunch in here that had exams this week. So it's not here to help you pass an exam. It's not like we're going to ask, like God asks you, you know, we talked about worldview lots. So God has all the worldview questions that we all ask. And at the pearly gates, he's sitting there with his whiteboard and his red pen and the black pen. You hope he doesn't use the red one. And he asks you, it's like an entrance exam. Like, you studied, do you have all the right answers? That is not the point of the Bible. That is also not, it doesn't even work to get a worldview that way anyways. A worldview is more than an intellectual belief. It is a belief that is internal in your subconscious mind, or in what we call the heart, that actually instructs your actions and reactions, even in the things you don't like. <laughs> it instructs us in good things and bad things that we do, so we want it to be a biblical worldview. Don't approach the Bible as you approach the Lord of the Rings trilogy or a science textbook. One's a storybook, one's for science in school, I totally get it, both have their purposes. Don't approach the Bible like either of them, it's nothing like it. This Bible is the supernatural, prophetic word of God. Since the printing press, they've been able to print those supernatural, prophetic, true words of God in a booklet, paper form. But it's not like every other book that you know. So don't read it like that. You don't read it once and know the story. That's not how it works. Think of it more like a relationship. You don't have intimacy in a relationship because you met once and went for coffee. Even if it was dynamite, it could have been super good. But that does not give you an intimate relationship. It's going to take lots of time. All right. Knowing about God is good. It's not the same as knowing God. Don't approach the Bible as you approach. Yeah, I already said that one. The Bible is supernatural. I already got all that. Perfect. Boom. Oh, my. We're good. I'm preaching the next for a while anyways. <laughs> Standing in the Word is a daily activity. Uh, yeah, I'll skip that. See, look at this. I, I took this from, it's called The Power of Four. If you want it, you can go online on the notes that are online. For those of you that are online already, good morning, by the way. Um, those online message notes, you can click on the link if you want to read into it further. But essentially, they, they did this study, I think from, oh, now I forget the dates. I should have wrote that, written that down. I think it was from 1996 till 2011. So it was a fairly decently long study. And what they were looking to do is find out the effects of Bible reading. And essentially, this is what they found, okay? Four or more days engaged in the Word. This was called the power of four. That's what it's called, the power of four. It's a scientific study. And they were looking at, does engagement, here you'll see three categories, in church attendance, prayer, and Bible reading, does engaging those things make a difference in the struggles that we have within our lives? Interestingly enough, they do. Also interestingly enough, it matters how often you do it. Okay, so what they did find is, there was at four or more days engaged in God's word. That's particularly the one we're going to see. So the categories, red is getting drunk if you can't read that. Yellow is sex outside of marriage. Blue is pornography. Purple is gambling. Green, I think that's green, is destructive thoughts. And then tan? I don't know what that is. Anyways, that's any. So any other thing that wasn't included, okay? At four, they said there was not really much of a statistical difference on God's word when you did three, two to three days compared to zero and one days. 
in the change in behavior. Not saying that it's not good, but there wasn't really much of a statistical difference. It's kind of like if you were starving and all you ate was once a day, or like once a week, it didn't really help you. You kind of had to do the, the vast majority of the days to get the benefit. Same here with God's word. At four or more days engaged in God's word, getting drunk lowered by 57%, sex outside of marriage by 68%, pornography by 61%, gambling by 74%. Any of these habits, 57% lower, Sharing faith with others went up 228%. Wow. Uh, discipling others went up 231%. Memorizing scripture went up by 407%. Now I want to address the final last thing here, and then I'll skip to my last point, and then we'll finish. I don't have time. I'm going to give you the pearl of wisdom that Ken McAllister gave me when I worked at Steinbeck Dodge with him, and I heard just the other day when I was with Irv that he had given something very similar to our board chair, Irv. <laughs> I guess me and Irv both complained to Ken McAllister at some point in our lives that we didn't have time for something that we needed to do. This is what Ken, Kenny Mack told me. Stefan, you do have the time. We all have the exact same amount of time. You just don't want to make the time. Let that sink in from the very honest and poignant Ken McAllister that just told me straight to, the, straight to the heart of it. I don't have time. Oh, yes, you do. That's not an accurate statement. You definitely have the time. Like, you read about the exploits of some of the greatest people that ever lived that did great things with their lives. They didn't have any more time than you did. I'm not saying that everyone has to do big things either. I'm just saying, regardless of what you do, we all have the same amount of time. You're going to have to decide if you're going to make the time. That's what you're gonna to get to decide. So, we're gonna do a very, very quick thing. I'm gonna get you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, as you look at our time and how we spend our time, are we being faithful with the time that you've given us? And if you feel you haven't been faithful, I was already doing this earlier in my week, you just confess to him in your heart right now that, that you haven't been faithful with that time. Lord, we confess that we haven't been faithful stewards of the time that we've been given. We've gotten busy, we've allowed ourselves to be distracted, we've chosen distraction rather than choosing to press in and to know you more. And now, I'm gonna encourage you in your hearts to commit to reading, if you want, to commit to reading the word, and to commit to obeying God's word too. Lord, we want to know you more. And so, Lord, we commit to giving you the time in your word, to giving you our best effort. And we know, Lord, that best effort will not look like getting every day, and sometimes we'll miss here and there, and that's okay. You have grace for that. It's not about legalism. There is an invitation. You are inviting each and every one of us to know you, to experience abundant life, to experience change within our lives, the power to endure 
You're wanting to give us your perspective and heart to correct us and teach us. We thank you for that. And so we commit ourselves and our yes to you to doing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to briefly touch on something that I'm going to finish next week. So I'll give you the story next week because I don't have time to go over it. I'm going to skip to this one here. I'm going to come back to this because I actually want to tell you my example. My, my, um, uh, memorization is key in on this whole piece. So what I promised in the beginning, memorization is a part of that for some of those key points. And I'm going to get back to that next week. That's okay. But I, I do want to cover this one piece here. Because this I do want to get. What am I saying today and what am I not saying? I'll tell you what I'm not saying. Read the Bible daily and memorize to be saved and to be a good Christian. That's not in the Bible. I'm not saying that. This is what I am saying. Starting with the questions. Do you want to experience abundant life? Do you want to experience freedom? Do you need strength to persevere in whatever you are going through right now? Do you want to understand what God's will is for your life? What his will is for mankind, for people? Discover your purpose. You want to be able to resist deception, change your relationships, grow your prayer life. Most importantly, do you want to know God? Then I will challenge you to spend time reading, obeying, and memorizing scripture. And next week I'll give you my rationalization on, on memorization. But I'm going to challenge you to do that. So the steps I'm going to give you guys here are very simple. Number one is start reading the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, start. Now normally I would say, well, if you're not reading it at all, start with one day a week. I'm going to say start with seven days a week. And if you end up hitting five, don't feel bad. The more you get into God's word, the more you will experience the abundant life that he promised you. So you can, you can gauge that for yourself. Pick a plan if you don't know. We're doing, a bunch of us are doing the Bible recap. But then obey it. Don't just read the words, obey the words. So when it says forgive, you know what you have to do? Forgive. When it says show hospitality to strangers, what do you need to do then? Right, you actually say, okay, Lord, what does that look like for me? Like if I'm busy, if I'm in the, like this is what it means. So you read that. Oh, hospitality, okay, what do I got to do? I, okay, so I'm going today to the store. What does hospitality look like going to the store? It's not inviting everyone that you see into your house for dinner. What if you took the time to smile and make eye contact? To ask how people are doing and then to actually just listen to what they say. Yeah, that's why I said it's actually fun. It's not, his burdens aren't, his, his commandments aren't burdensome. They're actually life-giving. If you do them, you'll find they're life-giving. They're the key and the pathway to experiencing the abundant life. And yeah, he'll cause you to die to things that will be painful sometimes, but it'll only be things that were harming you anyways. He can be trusted. Then, memorize. Now you might say, I don't know if I can memorize. I'm going to cover that next week at the beginning, and then we're getting into worship. But I will cover that at the beginning. You can memorize. It's a choice that we make which I'll talk about next week. Don't be feeling guilty until then. <laughs> you don't have to feel guilty then either. But if you want to know how I do it, you can read it, pick a verse. So like, let's say you have anxiety. You know what you do? Go to scripture. You, have a, you go to the back, right? And you look it up, anxiety. I bet you yours has it. Look at that. They have all these different words in there and you look it up. And if you want to cheat, you can do that. You can go to Google. Just be careful on what you find on Google. 
Some of the stuff there is bizarre. But anyways, you take the word, you find passages that relate to what you're going through, what your struggles are. You begin to read them. You read before and after. You find those verses. And then you begin to read them out loud. You meditate on them. You know what that means to meditate? You chew on it, you think about them, and you apply it to your life. So you obey it. And then you start just, like, you, you bring that into your prayer life, so you pray it, and then you begin to try to say it without looking. And usually what I do is I'll do it like this. Oh, i got to finish. So, and he came out and went as, he, as was his custom. And he came out and went as was his custom. And he came out and went as was his custom. And as he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And he came out as he went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. Oh, I got that right. I'm already halfway through the verse. And that's a verse I've never looked at. Well, I have looked at it, but I, have, I haven't memorized. Right? It's, it's not that hard. You learn to do it. I've done it lots, though, for a long time. So it's a little easier. It gets easier the more you do it.